eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Finsider Radio. I am your host, Matthew Kanata. I'm joined by Sutton and House. And of course, behind the scenes, James McKinney. Not good. Uh-oh. Not good for Kate or Murdoch. What do you want me to say? More not good. And if we didn't know any better, we would have thought that that was a transcript from Twitter on Sunday afternoon following the Dolphins versus Patriots game where basically almost every single person was just destroying Ryan Tannehill because of the 31-24 to loss the Dolphins had just taken to the hands of the Patriots. Comments such as Ryan Tannehill always fails to show up in big games comments such as Ryan Tannehill went back to his usual self in the first half and did absolutely nothing comments like Ryan Tannehill fails to read a defense comments like Ryan Tannehill can't make things happen when he needs to make them happen the most things like Ryan Tannehill finally has the authority to change the play at the line of scrimmage and he doesn't do it Things like Ryan Tannehill goes off in the second half, but it's only because the Patriots are playing soft prevent defense. Things like Ryan Tannehill only went off in the second half because the Patriots decided to just give half effort so they wouldn't get injured for their upcoming game on Thursday night. Things like the Ryan Tannehill went off in the second half because the Patriots just, you know, wanted to screw around with the Dolphins and let them back in the game. That was an actual comment from somebody. Things like Ryan Tannehill went off in the second half because the Patriots were resting their starters for Thursday night, which, by the way, wasn't true. By the way, none of that was true. Every single pass 
that Ryan Tannehill threw was posted today on my Twitter timeline at Finns Insider, F-I-N-S-I-N-S-I-D-E-R. Every pass from the first half was posted this morning. Every pass from the second half was posted just a short while ago. The narrative from the first half, Ryan Tannehill was dreadful and couldn't do anything. The reality, after watching those clips, after watching the All-22 where you can see every player on the field from an overhead angle, was that Ryan Tannehill had very limited options. And there's only two or three plays where he could have made a different decision but made the wrong decision. Of course, the most glaring one is at the end of the first half where he throws it too wide to Devontae Parker. And Devontae Parker was wide open in the end zone if Tannehill had thrown it a little more to the left. That's an easy touchdown. That's a four-point swing. And we're looking at a different ball game heading into halftime. Other ones are nitpicky because you can look at other quarterbacks and say they made, made bad decisions too. Second half, the narrative was, as I mentioned, Ryan Tannehill went off in the second half because the Patriots are playing soft prevent defense. And after posting every single pass from the second half just a short while ago with the all-22 footage, guess what? The Patriots actually played tougher on defense and tried to trick the Dolphins a bit more in the second half. They played man-to-man coverage. They had a single high safety just the same as they did in the first half. They didn't change much. They disguised their coverages a little more in the second half, actually. The difference... The Dolphins were finding their soft spots and their weaknesses, and they were attacking them, something they weren't doing in the first half of play. They were running comeback routes. They were running slants. In all essence, they were making the Patriots get a taste of their own medicine. So while everything was working for the Patriots in the first half, everything was working for the Dolphins' offense in the second half. You had the fumble here by Jay Ajayi, and that was kind of a killer, and then the Dolphins just ran out of time. And kind of a killer. That was that that killed the whole momentum that we had going starting in the second half. We had that yeah, goal being in the first half, and then he fumbles that right when we feel like we're getting that that flow on offense. That oh man, that hurt because then of course the Patriots turn around, scored a touchdown, made it thirty-one-three. Yep. And listen, we'll talk about Jay Ajayi in a little bit. Got some information on him, but the fact of the matter is this. Ryan Tannehill threw for 389 yards, 32 of 45, two touchdowns, two interceptions. The last one of the game, I'm not really going to count. The first one to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry was open behind Jamie Collins, and Tannehill was hit in his hand as he was throwing the ball, which caused the interception. Ryan Tannehill, by the way, had the second highest pro football focus grade this week. I know there's some people out there that only use PFF when they want to fit their narrative. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? PFF is a mainstay. It has been bolstered by Chris Collinsworth. You see it on NBC Sunday Night Football. NFL teams have been using pro football focus for years before it hit big like it does now. And I can only imagine what the NFL teams are using it for now. So when they say that Ryan Tannehill was the second best quarterback, based on the clips like I posted today and based on analyzing it like I was analyzing it today, you understand that Tannehill really made chicken salad out of chicken. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and that basically is what it is. Sutton, I know, I know you were jumping in earlier uh, just a short while ago, but give me, give me your thoughts. Maybe one thing that stood on offense, two things that stood on offense. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up PFF because uh, Ryan Tannehill is a top 10 quarterback, a quarter to them through uh, two games of the season. So, um, considering we've been at Seattle and at New England um, to have a top 10 quarterback through the contextual information that PFF has. And we know it's not all gospel. We have to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt, but it's encouraging that somebody else sees uh, the objectivity of his game and not just what we want to see as fans. So it's nice to be, to, to have that backed up, but really in the first half for the offense, for me, Six drives of four plays or less. I mean, how can you do anything when you're only getting four play drives? And the only drive that we didn't was when we got the field goal going into halftime. And it really seemed more to me it was a byproduct of not being able to establish a run game. We can't get anything going. We get no flow. Um, 
we saw how effective that that no huddle was in the second half when we can actually get a couple of first downs established and get the defense off balance a little bit. We looked pretty good, and I think it's when we got in that flow in the second half where New England wasn't sure what we were going to do because we were still mixing in the run there. And, yeah, it wasn't that effective, but it was still enough to keep the New England defense off balance. And we were taking our shots down the field. We were getting multiple receivers involved we have to be able to establish a run earlier in the game somehow. And that's what I'm, uh, that's what's been lacking in this offense. It seems like we're still a little bit too one dimensional. And I think it's because the run offense hasn't really caught up. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a, a mixture of who we have at running back and who we have playing at offensive line and their relative strengths and weaknesses. Um, but we need to be able to establish that run game, become a little bit more balanced, set up play action because we have players to take advantage of play action, that's going to open this offense up tremendously. If we cannot establish the run anymore, we're going to be one-dimensional like we were last year, and we know how that's going to play out. Right, absolutely. I mean, you look at the stats. I think Ryan Tannehill's the, our leading rusher right now. I know in uh, Sunday's game he carried the ball six times for 35 yards, and, I mean, he, he doubled what Jay Ajayi had, so, I mean – Ryan Tannehill being your leading rusher, that's never a good thing for a team. Uh, for me, though, I'm going to go with Devontae Parker, the impact he had on this game. I mean, uh, everyone wants to say he's a true number one wide receiver. He's that big body, can run all the routes. I mean, you saw when he was in single coverage away, Tannehill looked his way. Tannehill kept getting shots downfield. I think this offense was uh, so much better with Devontae Parker, and all you can do is just hope he stays healthy because this offense is going to be something to, something to watch. You're, you make a great point about Devontae Parker and Adam Gase and even DVP said it himself, he was not fully healthy that game. And he had, I think, 13 targets along with Jarvis Landry. When DV, DVP yep. is going to be a big part of this offense, and he Absolutely. already is on one leg, I can only imagine what's going to happen. I'm freaking, you know, I'm getting really excited just thinking about it. And well, that's all we're going to leave it at that right there. We're not going to go into any further about being excited about things. <laughs> but you got goosebumps, that's all. Yeah, just, just a lot of goosebumps. But I'm really looking forward to that. One other thing, you know, looking back at the stats for the game, the Dolphins only rushed the ball 16 times. Six of those times were from Ryan Tannehill. So you're really looking at 32 times, uh, 45 times passing the ball, which is absolutely insane. And, of course, they were down 31, uh, 24 to 3 at the half, and really 10 times rushing the ball. The Dolphins desperately need a running game. And I feel like even with Lamar Miller, didn't we say this, the Dolphins need a running game? I felt like we, I feel like we've been saying this for a long time, and I don't know. I, I did hear there's going to be some changes this week in terms of personnel. Kenyon Drake, I would love to see that guy play more. I think he's going to get a little more time, but the fact of the matter is he missed a lot of training camp, so the knowledge of the playbook is limited. Isaiah Pete is someone to keep an eye on. If his hamstring is healthy, he's going to be playing on Sunday. And I've been told that this is Adam Gase's guy. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Gase is going to use him. And if Pete can be that, you know, kind of bridge between this year and next year when the Dolphins are surely going to try to find an upgrade and a bell count running back they can count on every single week to, to do what they need to do. Um, Landry, 137 yards. You know he's going to play well. Parker, 106 yards. Cameron came through a little bit. He had that costly drop earlier. But he actually did get open quite a bit throughout the game. 49 yards, uh, targeted seven times. Kenny still. A lot of people talked about him having a bigger role coming into this season, but he's kind of just been another guy. He does have some speed, but nothing that's going to scare defenses. Um, and, and we're just going to see how the Dolphins come out on Sunday. I think they're going to come out with more no huddle. They're going to come out with more scripted plays for Tannehill, and things that he's comfortable with, because they cannot afford to do what they did against the Patriots, where they're doing three and outs uh, the entire first half of play. On the defensive side of the ball, it was, a complete and utter disaster. Uh, that's really the only way to put it. When Adamic and Sue is your leading tackler with 12 tackles, that's just yeah. crazy. That is just yeah. crazy. Um, that's insane. The, yeah, I, I don't think it should be that way, right? I mean, Kiko Alonso had 11, Rashad Jones. And when your safety has the third highest tackles, guys, that means a lot of running backs and wide receivers are getting through to that second level. And we know that's what the Patriots do all day long. Rashad Jones with nine. Abdul Kudis with Kudis with eight, uh, Byron Maxwell with five. And speaking of Byron Maxwell, what a terrible, terrible, terrible game he had. 
Um, I didn't see the PFF grade on him, but I assume it's towards the bottom of the cornerbacks for this. It's real sad. Yeah, seriously. He was giving seven yards, five to seven yard cushion on basically every single play. And on the ones where he did line up at the line, guess what? He backed away. He actually backed away right before the snap so he can give himself that five to seven yard cushion. And I understand you're afraid to get beat deep. But listen, dude, use your strength. Jam the dude at the line. Rely on your defensive line to get pressure on the quarterback. So there's no way by the time if he does get past you, he's either running for his life or he's throwing off balance and the chances of making a completion are very low. The Patriots just absolutely abused and destroyed the Dolphins' defense all day long. And even when, when their third-string quarterback came in, uh, Brissett, even he was finding success. Uh, I just think of, and I'm going back to Byron Maxwell again, he's my scapegoat. I mean, just getting stuffed to the ground by Martellus Bennett, absolutely destroyed. And then the Garrett Blunt jumping right over him. Um, what a disaster. How how. <laughs> Your uh, your views on the defensive side of the ball from Sunday? Yeah, I mean you nailed Maxwell. He he looked real bad. That stiff arm. Oh man, that that was awful. <clears throat> but for me, it goes back to the run defense. I mean this team has put uh, assets into. I mean Ndamukong Sue we brought in. I mean we thought he would help immensely in the run game. And another year, it seems like we just have trouble stopping it. I cannot tell you late in that game how many times I just saw that that toss to Lagara Blunt. And I mean it's Blunt. He's Running a toss with a big back like that, I mean, and it worked effectively, and that's that's the biggest concern for me on defense. If this team this team looked bad on Sunday, for this team to to fix things, they definitely need to sure up that run defense. Absolutely, I I thought the secondary and the run defense kind of got mm-hmm. exposed on Sunday, and that was a little bit disheartening coming coming away from that week one display against Seattle. So I don't even know what the hell defense we got going on. I don't know what we're capable of anymore. It seems like uh, we're going to be another Jekyll and Hyde product like we've had before. Um, But like Hout said, we really have to get that run defense short up, especially going into Cleveland. I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, to see what Garrett Blunt, Smoke Blunt, go for buck 25 or so against us um, and, and and oftentimes in a, a really predictable situation where he's going to run to to have that kind of success over and over in the game. That was really disheartening. Um, but Danny Amendola was tearing us up. Julian Edelman was tearing us up. Fartellus Bennett was tearing us up. I mean, they were um, – they pretty much seemed to just do whatever they wanted to do, and that was, I think – the most embarrassing part of that game was it seemed like no matter who they targeted, they were winning one-on-one matchups all across the board. So that's why I'm a little bit more nervous about the secondary, what they're capable of and linebackers covering the the running backs and tight ends. And this has been a narrative that's been played over and over, over the years, not being able to cover those types of players, running backs and tight ends. That is um, to not be able to do that again, to compound that with, uh, Given Blunt all those yards on the on the ground, that was that was disheartening. Yeah, and I know we need to move on to our next segment. And before we move on, guys, if please, if you want to talk to us on the air, you can call us at three four seven three two six nine four six one. Against that's three four seven three two six nine four six one. The phone lines will be opening in just a few short minutes. A few things I just want to mention before we move on. Chris Kaufman. Uh, Good, good guy with insider knowledge. Uh, he tweeted today, did you know that from 2013 to 2016, even counting the playoffs, the Patriots and Seahawks are a combined 51 and six at home. That is absolutely amazing. And it just shows you what kind of the test the Dolphins are up against. And listen, while they played an absolutely terrible first half, they played a hell of a second half. And that is something to, that is encouraging. And when you look at stats like that, then you start thinking, well, maybe they just ran into really bad luck the first two weeks of the season. So I'm going to be watching, and I know we all are going to be watching how this plays out. Another thing, the last play of the game, I know everyone's been talking about that, where Tannehill throws that ball into the end zone and DVP can't come down with it, misjudges it. So a few things that were going on in that play. Uh, Brandon Albert loses his man. His man gets by him, so he's pressuring Tannehill. Tannehill has to get it off a little earlier than he would have liked to. 
Okay, so Tannehill's rushing the pass. Tannehill throws it deeper into the corner of the end zone. Devontae Parker thought it was going to be at the beginning of the end zone. Whether that was rushed or just Tannehill and Parker had miscommunication there, we don't know. Obviously, they know, but we're not going to hear about it. If DVP catches that, if DVP is in the right spot, that is a touchdown. Uh, he undressed the defender. He He's um, juked to the right and then moved up to the left. If that ball was on target, that's a touchdown. But another thing that Simon Clancy, who was a popular guy on Twitter, uh, some don't like him, a lot, a lot of other people do like him, he had mentioned that Kenny Stills, and this was on my All-22 clip that I posted, Kenny Stills was wide open on the right side of the field at about the 20-yard line, sitting in a soft pocket. Tannehill looked at, was looking at Parker and Landry the entire time on the left side of the field, streaming up towards the end zone. But had he looked at Stills, he may have thought about going there. Uh, Stills would have caught it, ran out of bounds, would have had about three seconds left on the clock, and it would have been a 20-yard pass, obviously a much easier pass than a 30-yard, a 35-yard pass than they were going up against. Uh, for that last play. So different things here and there. I mean, you can nitpick, you can look at every single play and say they should have done this differently. They should have done that differently. The fact of the matter is it all adds up throughout the course of the game. And as an end result, the Dolphins start off the season. Oh, and two. Boomer is Iason, uh said today that of all the Oh, and two teams, Everyone should keep an eye on the Miami Dolphins. And this is, this is actually going on right now on Inside the NFL on Showtime. Boomer had this to say, a number of these teams are not going to make it to the playoffs. But I do believe that there are a couple of teams here that can actually pull themselves out of this. Number one for me would be the Miami Dolphins. I saw the way they played in the second half against New England, offensively. I saw the way they played defensively out in Seattle in week one. This is a pretty good team. Adam Gase is a terrific football coach. They are starting to get something out of Tannehill. And I'm telling you, out of all the teams on this list, that's the one team that can make a run. So that's, you know, pretty good praise from a reporter and and a guy that's been around the NFL for a long time. And like I just mentioned, listen, maybe the Dolphins just ran into really tough luck. And I know that's me being a homer, but hey, it's quite possible. And when you look at a 51 and six record over the past four years, it is, it is what it is. Um, we'll have to see well, how they bounce money, Any Dolphins fan looking into this year, looking at the schedule that got unveiled, anybody that saw that looked at the initial stretch of games as a very dangerous stretch for us. So, I mean, and that was even, be, that was I, even, and I know it was, <laughs> emotionally very disturbing how everything kind of unfolded, but I think most of us kind of felt in the back of our minds that this was oh, yeah, going absolutely. to happen. And that, was so, even, I mean, that was even before Brady was suspended and Gronk was out, you know, so obviously you, you get, you get more hopeful when they're out and then you right. play a tough game in Seattle. You almost fall to win and you almost come back and beat New England. So yeah, the emotions are there. Absolutely. But it, everyone's being real with themselves. I don't think there's one person that can say they would have thought they would start the season 2-0, let alone 1-1. One one. So I think, you know, the season's really going to start on Sunday. Dolphins are favored, I think, by 10 points, according to Vegas odds. And it, we should see them bounce back. All right. Uh, we have any callers coming in yet? Doesn't look like anyone's on the board. So Sutton and House, what do we have going on in the live thread? I, I know it's quite active tonight. Uh, here's a question from uh, KVNG Amar. Is Kenyon Drake our best shot at having a running game this year? Take that. You can go for it. Yeah, I'm going to say, as of now, he looks like he's the best option. Jay can't hold on to the football. He seems to be in Gase's uh, doghouse, so to speak. Kenyon Drake, he, I wasn't the biggest fan of him coming out of college, but, I mean, I saw little bits here and there at the end of the preseason, and then in this last game, he looked like he was decent at pass block and pass protection. Uh, he's always a threat in the re- the passing game, and – he looked on Sunday like he might have been the best running back that wasn't uh, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and Kenya and Chris Kaufman tweeted it the other day, Check, keep an eye out on Jay Ajayi. Uh, he might be traded pretty soon. And actually someone mentioned to me and reminded me again this morning, they said, I told you that Jay Ajayi was going to be a surprise cut if the running backs were healthy. So that means if Pete and Foster and the Dolphins were counting on them, they would have cut Jay Ajayi. So Jay Ajayi is not for long in Miami. If he gets through the season, I doubt he's going to be on the team next season. So, and what do you got going on the live thread? 
Dang, dropping bombs on FMC Money. Yeah, that was nice. It's that time of the year. (laughs) All right, I got something from Concrete1200, and he asks, should we scratch the wide nine? We've only actually played it a bit, 50% less. And why aren't we pressing? I know we are young, more chance to press, question mark. Um, Wide nine, I'm I'm not sure actually how much we have used that because I think the wide nine presupposes being in a pass rushing situation. So I don't know how much um, the wide nine is really effective if you can't um, stop the interior runs that we haven't been able to do so far. So I I dispute how much we've actually been in the wide nine uh, personnel group. So uh, I guess um, some data maybe later on will clear that up. But I I don't think that we've been in wide nine that much. But I do agree with Concrete's point that we should be pressing more. And you alluded to it earlier, MC Money. We have Byron Maxwell at six foot two fifteen, and he's playing seven yards off the line of scrimmage not jamming up a 5'9 dude. And I, I don't know why um, that's a foreign concept. I, I, I know he's not as great with the quick twitch athletes, but if he can't stay with them on short routes or intermediate routes or long routes, then why are we playing him? So we have to try to use one of his strengths to his advantage, which is his size. And it didn't seem like we were putting our players in a position to be able to do that on Sunday. We weren't jamming those guys up. They were getting free releases at the line of scrimmage, and they were pretty much, like I said earlier, getting any route that they wanted. They were they were being able to convert that. So um, that was obviously a little bit uh, disappointing. So hopefully, you know, we have Xavier Howard on one side, uh, maybe Tony Lennon. Tony Lippett starts getting some snaps or something because uh, of of the product we're seeing on the secondary. So uh, we have the size there and it starts, we need to start converting more to a press system and see how we can develop some data because the the whole seven to 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, I think is getting pretty old for this, uh, for this Dolphins group. We've seen it one, over the past couple of years. <laughs> one one note on the wide nine. One note on the wide nine. Like you said, we weren't playing it too much. The wide nine is not a defense. It is a set in the defense. It is like you said, just used for obvious passing passing situations. So if it's not, you don't play a wide nine defense. You play a three four defense. You play a four three defense. You play a hybrid defense. You play a cover two defense but you don't play a wide nine defense. It's not a system. It's a set within the defense itself. Houts, anything else on the live thread? Yeah, someone, uh, Alpha 6, asked, is Tannehill the problem, or is there another reason for the Dolphins offense not producing enough to win? <laughs> That's been a question for the past four years. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, saw some bad, I, I saw some bad things from Tannehill on those clips. I saw some really good things. I know there's, there's, th- there's little things that I saw on those clips, like if he had waited one second more, he would have had a guy deep down the field wide open, and that would have moved the chains. I saw things like he could have taken what the Patriots are giving him in the first half on a certain play, but he didn't take it, and he forced it somewhere else, but it would have moved the chains if he went the other way. So little things like that, but then again, we're so in this little capsule where we're just looking straight at the Dolphins that we don't really know if other quarterbacks do this unless we would sit there and analyze the All-22 on people like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. And I can guarantee you they miss plays like this too. It's just how many do they miss over the course of the game compared to Ryan Tannehill. And I think it's just, and I tweeted this earlier, it's just a lot of frustration building up from Dolphins fans where we had, you know, the horrible, horrible years under Joe Philbin and Tannehill's stunted development and everything else that you could possibly go wrong and, and that coach not having confidence in him. I feel bad for the dude. I wonder. I I really wonder if he is damaged from all those sacks. You know, getting crazy feet in the pocket, getting scared, rushing his throws a little too much. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Sutton, what do we got else? Well, we got something from uh, Tona and oh, Daytona Dolphin. He says, "I think they should go no huddle the whole game, not just the second half when we were playing catch up. Why won't they listen to me?" Well. <laughs> I we 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 kind of talked about that earlier. I mean, we of course that 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 fast-paced offense for us seems so so 
so much better, well synchronized. It's well oiled. I mean, everybody seems to be um, in, in the position they're supposed to be. It looks like the timing's there. When we get into the stagnant offense of not being able to get a couple of yards on first down or second down, then we slow down, then we look a little bit more uh, disconnected with each other, and that's when we're getting into these three-and-out situations. So um, I, I totally agree with him, but I, I think in order to be able to establish that no-huddle offense, just like we said earlier again, we need to be able to run the ball. We need to be able to keep the defense off balance. It's really hard to uh, do no huddle, just doing nonstop passes, uh, despite teams being able to do that against us. We can't really do it against other teams, so we need to be able to mix in the run, um, and we need to be more effective doing so. And I think if we are able, uh, like MC Money said earlier, if, if Isaiah Teed is going to get some more uh, carries here, and I thought he looked really good in the preseason. He was one of my players that I really noticed stuck out uh, having some bursts and being able to make some plays. Um, so hopefully getting him in there maybe gives a little splash to this running game and we can get something going and get a better flow and get into that no huddle type of mentality. We'll come back to these other questions that are still lurking around the live thread towards the end of the show, but we need to move on for now. Looking at the fantasy outlook from week two, just a few quick hits. Any uh, guys that went off? We know Matt Forte had a fantastic game last Thursday night. We know that Melvin Gordon continues to impress. And with Danny Woodhead out for the season, Melvin Gordon's shares and targets are just going to increase. And that is good news for all those who like Melvin Gordon and who have him on a team like me, multiple teams. Devontae Freeman continues to split snaps with Tevin Coleman. Devontae Freeman did have over 100 yards rushing, but he didn't catch anything out of the backfield. Really, that's all going to Coleman. So that is something to keep an eye on. If you have Freeman, I wouldn't recommend you trade him. If you don't have Freeman, you might be able to get him pretty cheap. Sammy Watkins injured, of course, as always. There are death taxes in Sammy Watkins being injured. So if you have him like I do in one league, I am sorry. Um, keep him on your bench, stashed away. You never know if you might turn it around. Houts, do you have anything that you may want to add from the fantasy outlook from week two? Uh, for me, in some of my leagues, I'm – pretty banged up at running back like you said Devontae Freeman he's looking uh man it sucks and then I had Adrian Peterson who looks like he's out for some time so for me I know Jonathan Stewart just got hurt in Carolina so I'd probably take a look at Fozzie Whitaker I know I tried to grab him in at least two of my leagues so there's one and then for me I have Gronkowski in another league he's been hurt so I took uh I grabbed Dennis Pitta he had a pretty good week uh, and stay away from the Raiders' defense. They screwed me over this week. <laughs> I thought they'd be a good play against the Falcons, but, oh, man, they let me down. Yeah, you thought you'd make it past uh, week two before getting into the thick of the injuries. Um, yeah, grim no Reaper doubt. around the NFL, but, man, that was really rearing its head so far in fantasy leagues, and it's it's taken out some big players so far. Uh, I drafted Keenan Allen. He's out for the year. Um, so you've seen a bunch of players. You see Adrian Peterson go down. So I think you got to look at Jarek McKinnon. Um, but really testing depths of fantasy leagues all across. So if you're one of those players that stopped drafting out after round seven, thinking that that's all that matters in a fantasy draft, then this year is going to be one of those years where you remember that depth and playing the waiver wire is pretty important. Um, Looking at waiver wire stuff, like I said, Jarek McKinnon because Adrian Peterson went down. I think you got to look at him. Another guy that I'm really looking at is Tyrell Williams from the Chargers. Yeah. Um, with Keenan Allen going down, Stevie Johnson, I believe, is out for an extended period of time. Danny Woodhead just went down. Um, offensive players or uh, few and far between on that offense right now, and they've looked at him early and often. Uh, the last couple games in lieu of those uh, aforementioned injured players. So Tyrell Williams has a little bit of a big play potential there. So look to pick him up on your, on your waiver this, this week. One team that may surprise you, but, and I hope no one's listening that I play in fantasy football with, but pick up the Miami Dolphins. I don't know if I'd waste the waiver spot on them uh, when your waiver's clear tomorrow morning, but if they're still free after tomorrow morning when the waiver's processed, the Dolphins are going against rookie third-string quarterback Cody Kessler. 
Cleveland Browns. Yeah, whatever. Cody Kessler <laughs> for the Cleveland Browns is a third-string quarterback, and he's nowhere near ready to play in the NFL. His scouting report from the NFL.com draft profile, baseline accuracy is pro quality. Never had a completion percentage lower than 65% as a three-year starter. Will take what the defense gives them and keeps the chains moving. Able to play backyard catch with open receivers underneath if defenses let him. Delivered from the pocket with a 70.4 completion percentage rate. Adequate arm strength. Good general sense of running and offense. Gets through progressions quickly. Has pocket feel, feel with ability to climb the pocket to throw or escape from side doors when necessary. But, Cody Kessler, you're playing in the NFL. It is your first career NFL game against a defensive line that contains Mario Williams and Dominican Sue, Cameron Wake. And you're playing in Miami in a brand new stadium. And if the crowd shows up, the crowd better be loud to force the Cleveland Browns into a quiet, silent count. I don't expect much from Cody Kessler, so that's why I was saying the Miami Dolphins defense may be one of the top defenses to stream this week in fantasy football. Of course, you can drop him right away Thursday night, but this week is the key. Moving on now to the Browns and continuing this talk about them, uh, you have Corey Coleman, who's, who's been the rookie receiver who was their first-round pick. He is he's good. He's good at football. And he was their 15th pick in last year's draft. He caught five passes for 104 yards and two touchdowns last week. So when you're talking about past Cleveland Browns guys who have been bust, it looks like Coleman's on the right track. Josh Gordon still suspended. Good news. Gary Barnard's their tight end. Can cause some trouble, but was relatively quiet last week. I think he had 30-something yards. The Browns are, are a mess right now. Uh, Cameron Irving is out. He went in the hospital, and he got released from the hospital on Monday, but he's not going to be playing. One thing you do need to watch about the Browns is they have the eighth-best rushing attack in the NFL. Isaiah Crowell has been a monster. Duke Johnson sprinkled in there here and there. Hugh Jackson knows how to get the best out of his running backs. And their defense is shaky. They, they blew a 20-0 lead against 20-2 lead against the Ravens on Sunday. RG3 is out. Josh McCown is out. The Dolphins should have this game in the bag. Sutton, what is one key on offense that the Dolphins need to win this game? And then, Houts, I want to hear from you after that as well. I'm ready. I want to establish a run. This is our home opener. We want to set a tone. Uh, we want to be a more tough-minded team, I think. So we need to be able to line up. Four yards of cloud of dust, and let's get something done, boys. Let's get let's get Pete in there. Let's do it. So let's let's establish a run. Like I said, um, that's going to open up play action, and the Browns' defense is pretty middle of the pack everywhere you look at it. Um, I, I think we're going to have some some opportunities on the on the perimeter as well. I think we have to look at Devontae Parker again. I think we match up well with the, the Browns secondary and their lack of height. So uh, let's target them down the field when we can, and obviously that's going to be a little bit easier if we can establish a run, getting them creeping up to the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Uh, what do you think, Couch? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's the guys up front. I'd like to see them uh, do better in the run game. Like you said, we need someone to run the ball. We need to establish the run early. I'd like to see uh, Isaiah Pete, if he's healthy, like Kanata said, or uh, Kenyon Drake get some carries. But also, again, I'd like to see Devontae Parker more involved with the offense. I'd like to see this team come out and run that hurry-up offense that we saw towards the end of the, sec- the first half and then into the second half against New England. I'd like to see Tannehill take control the same way they did this past Sunday. Uh, Run the ball a bit more, but use uh, your weapons on the outside, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, and pick apart that poor Cleveland's defense because that's where Miami can beat this team. And Devontae Parker is going to be another guy who is going to have nice fantasy appeal moving forward. If, if he's on your waiver wire, which I'm guessing he may be in a, quite a few of your leagues, I would suggest picking him up. And he's going to be a key for the Dolphins on Sunday. We see that Tannehill loves going to Parker, especially in the one-on-one matchups. Uh, I would even – I would even say he maybe likes Parker more than he likes Landry, and that's saying a lot. So Parker is going to be targeted heavily moving forward. I think Parker is finally getting over that hump where he understands he needs to play some football and not be such a baby and, and you know, sit out whenever he starts hurting. Houts, uh, one key on defense for you, and then Sutton, one key from you on defense for the Dolphins on Sunday. For me, it's 
stopping the run the run game in the Cleveland Browns. Like you said earlier, I think you said they were ninth in the NFL. Isaiah Crowell, he's a dynamic playmaker. Then you got Duke Johnson, who can be an asset in the passing game. So, I mean, overall, Miami needs to stop the run. And also, you mentioned Corey Coleman earlier. It's sad I had him on my bench in two leagues, but Corey Coleman, the Dolphins need to find a way to to limit him to those big plays that we saw over the previous two weeks, and that's the way the Dolphins kind of win in this game. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a very debatable topic. We need to stop the run this week. Uh, we're going against another third-string quarterback. We have to assume that we can stop one of these types of people. Um, I know we've had trouble with Fab Lewis and EJ Manuel, and I could go on and on with all the ridiculous quarterbacks that have won games against us, Geno Smith. <laughs> um, but we need to be able to stop the run. That's clearly where the Browns' focus is. Hugh Jackson has had success with running backs. Um, again, we're going against a third-string quarterback. We need to be able to stop the run, uh, make them one-dimensional as possible, and then we're going to be able to tee off. I agree. Stack the box, stop the run. And listen, I, I don't want the defense to be afraid. We saw in the second half they were being a bit more aggressive, and they were being that attacking defense they wanted to be. The Vance Joseph said he wanted to be. In the first half, they were reacting to everything the Patriots are doing. I want, if the Dolphins give up a big play up top, I'm cool with that. I mean, how many times throughout the course of the game is a quarterback going to accurately throw a deep pass? We see it all the time, guys missing their overthrows and guys just running down the field, and the play's not developing like it should. I want to see them jam up at the line, get the two safeties over the top to help out on the outside if they need to. But none of this, enough of this throwing the ball underneath and getting these easy slants and getting an open space. And we know the Browns are going to do that. The Seattle Seahawks tried to do it, but the Dolphins were able to stop them and, and force them into something different. I mean, enough of this crap. Just, just press the line, do what, you, do what you're good at, and let the rest take care of itself. Exactly. If Cody Kessler throws an 85-yard pass to Gary Barnage, then good for them. But it's because we are pressing the crap out of them, and we're making sure we're taking away the the bread and butter, the whole offense. That's where I, I think we miss the whole scope on the Patriots' offense. We don't disrupt that short timing crap. Yeah, give them that big play, whatever. Give them that. But it's all those little five, six, seven-yard chunks that they get. Is That's what eats away at your soul. So that's what you have really to stop. Is. And I think the only cure for that is to get up in their face and make it uncomfortable for them. And the Dolphins are doing that to the Patriots. And you could actually see in, one, in a few clips that Patriots' defensive line was absolutely gassed. They couldn't even rush the passer at one point. They were so gassed. And that's the stuff that keeps the chains moving. Gets, that just tires out the defense, man, and they, they need to keep doing it. Before we do our final predictions for that game, let's jump back to our questions. I have a few questions coming in on Twitter. The first one, let's see, let's pull it up here from Esteban Sobreros. Would you like to see more of Kenyon Drake in the backfield given Ajayi's recent struggles and Foster's injury? Yes, I would. I mentioned at the beginning of the show yes. that, that he has a limited knowledge of the playbook, so that's kind of holding him back. But he ran with authority on Sunday, and I think we will see Kenyon Drake more as the season goes on and for the Dolphins to see what they have out of him. Another one from Twitter, Andrew Granado, asks, if Finn's Twitter owned the Dolphins, how long would the organization last? Which one of you wants to take this one? (laughs) Um, I'll take this one. It would blow (laughs) up in a matter of seconds, and then we'd have nothing, and we'd blame that (laughs) year-old child that can't have anything nice without destroying something. Um, it would be their fault. And it would be the it would we, be we would have nothing to show for it. It would be the equivalent of streaming a quarterback in fantasy football every week. There'd be a new quarterback in Miami every single week. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly definitely. what it would be. All right, how, yeah, what do we got? Marino on? was just in a Papa John's commercial. We should definitely start. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. We would also sign every single player who gets cut because that's just the way the Dolphins fans are. <laughs> you be right. Houts, what do we have going on the live thread? Uh, I'm looking, but I don't see much. There's just a bunch of comments going back and forth. It is popping yeah. tonight. It is. It is. Well, lots, I, lots I, of I, I, I did see, oh, I here did we see go. something from um, – he asked a question earlier, KVNG Amor, Kung Amor. 
Um, he said, jumping ahead, dot, 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 considering we win the Browns game and go in a Thursday game with confidence against the Bengals, what would you say about us being 2-2? Two and two? We, we touched on that a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about how, you know, most of us expected to go in 0-2, even though we may not admit it to our other Dolphins fans. But, I mean, that was a really tough opening stretch of games. So, um, coming out 2-2, two and two, I think most of us would have felt pretty good about that situation. Um, and I think going into that middle stretch where we have a bunch of home games, the NFL season is so long. So I'm, I'm not willing to just throw in the towel just yet just because we, we had some adversity. I, I, I saw res- resiliency in this team through the preseason, and I think we'll see it again. And, and I, the, I, I, I really do, at the end of the day, I think we're going to be okay. And remember, the Dolphins have had the Bengals number over the past several years, whether it's in Miami or in Cincinnati. And I've seen it in person. Well, we've, you know, I live in Cleveland, so the games that I can go to are pretty close to Cleveland. Been able to see a couple games in Cincinnati, and we've won every game that we've went to there. So um, I, I, it's. I feel pretty confident going into that game. I don't. I, I know not what what's happened before is going to influence what's going to happen uh, next Thursday. But right, we've had our success. Houts, we have anything else in the live thread? Are we ready to go with our predictions for Sunday? Uh, Alpha Six asked, "Is Byron Maxwell looking like a bust already?" Question mark plays like he's the slowest cow. Dot dot dot. Also likes a nice stiff arm. Yeah, he does, and he likes a nice little hurdle, too. That sounds Byron Maxwell up right there. <laughs> I think Byron Maxwell had a pretty decent game week one. He had an awful game week two. I think we have to see how he responds week three and four. Absolutely. I think it's too early to say anything about him. All right, I think we're ready to go on to our predictions for Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock p.m., Cleveland Browns versus Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins home opener in the new Hard Rock Stadium. I hope the stadium is popping. I hope the stadium is loud. And I hope the Dolphins annihilate the Browns. Final prediction from MC Money himself. Dolphins, 34. Cleveland, 17. What do we got, House? Yeah, I I thought you were going to take mine. I'm going to go 34-21. Dolphins win. Nice. Sutton, how about you? And damn, we got some overlapping picks. I was going... 30 to 17. So I think we each uh, had a little overlap there. So it's probably going to be like 9 to 6. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I, I, think we're, I think we're all in agreement that Dolphins are looking like they might score a lot of points. I think they'll be their typical defense, but improved from last week, of course, against the Patriots. I think the Dolphins learned a lot of good lessons from this game against the Patriots after playing that tough week one Seattle game. All right. And I also, real quick, MC Money, I think we're going to feed off the energy of this being the home opener. Yeah. Brand new state, so much poured into that. A lot invested in this game. It really seems like a setup game for us to play Cleveland on our home opener. So you just like to think that we're just going to take care of business. So That's what we would um, like to it's think. It's an let's unusual it. position for Dolphins fans to be in. So we'll let's see if we'll see how let's this see goes. If, let's see if they take care of business. That's what it's all going to come down to. Exactly. All right, we had a great show this week. We talked about the Patriots. We broke down different plays and analysis from there. We, we talked about the Browns, talked about some fantasy. Took your questions on the Finsider Radio live thread on the Finsider.com. We thank you for joining us once again this week on Finsider Radio. Enjoy Thursday night football. Enjoy the Dolphins game on Sunday. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place, Finsider Radio. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. 
Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Vergecast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Check it out. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.